0: You got your Bibles? Grab them and open up to the Gospel of Mark, or your electronic version, whatever you've got. We're going to spend some time getting into the Word today. It's good to be back. So glad to be here this morning. Wendy and I have been on a little bit of a a vacation last three weeks. We've been gone, so it just feels good being here in the auditorium this morning. So it's good to see everybody. You know, as As a married couple, you have things kind of in life that come up that kind of become just sort of, I don't want to say Joe, but but kind of um, little moments between you and your spouse. One of those for me and Wendy is that we process things very, very differently. We're just, God made us very different. So, um, Wendy is a really... Um, good, thorough decision maker. So if you're going to make a decision, you think about all of the options and then you weigh them and you get the positives and the negatives and then you make a decision and then you rethink the decision and you you think about it some more. Um, I just kind of do things. So this comes up like when we're, parking in a parking lot so when I pull into the parking lot here at church almost every Sunday Wendy starts going like this well there's a spot over there and there's a spot over there oh and one, there's one right back there and and so what happens is she is in the middle of pointing out all the spots that we could choose from and I just pull into one and then she says or not you could try that one and that one or that one or that uh, or not and that's, it's become kind of a joke, and we do that all the time. She'll kind of be thinking about all the things, and then I just decide, and she goes, oh, or not. Well, I was thinking about that this morning because I had a, a person who I got into kind of an interesting conversation online. Uh, this person had commented on one of my chapter day blog posts, uh, basically taking issue um, with the fact that I mentioned that, That even though Jesus could heal anyone, didn't mean that he healed everyone. And this person took issue with that and said, no, Jesus healed everyone that came to him. Jesus healed everyone. And I was like going, well, or not. (laughs) Because I don't, I I think it's an immature way to look at what Jesus did in his ministry. And we're going to talk about healing today. We've got three stories about healing in Mark chapters 1 and 2 that we're going to take a look at. So open up your Bibles if you've got them there. We're going to start in verse 38. It says, Jesus replied, Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back. I'm sorry, 32. That evening after the sunset, the people... Brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town. Now, this is the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum, uh, you can go there today. There's a a little town. It doesn't really exist as a town today. But they have excavated much of the town. There's a synagogue there that was there from like the 300, 400 AD uh, that you can go into. And the synagogue uh, is right across the lane. It's like literally, I think even maybe Clayton or Kevin talked about it last week, about 60 feet between the synagogue and the house of Peter's, where Peter and his mother lived. And there's a kind of a church that's built over that now. But the town itself is really small. Think about, you know, a couple hundred people. So when Jesus says that they, everyone gathered together, and it means that, think of it, there's like a couple hundred people who've all come to surround Peter's house and they brought sick and the demon possessed and the whole town gathered at the door, it says. And Jesus healed many. Now, that's interesting. It didn't say that he healed them all. It said that he healed many. And there's a different word there. So when it said that he brought all, pas, the Greek word pas, it means I mean, all, whole. But when it said he healed many, it talks about a large number, but it's a very different word. So he healed many, and he also drove out many demons. Same word there, a number of them. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So we're at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He is starting in Capernaum in the Sea of Galilee, which in that day was a Uh, It was a podunk, rural, backwater town. So the king of kings and the lord of lords is starting his ministry in the middle of nowhere, in flyover country. And he purposefully keeps making decisions to keep his ministry small. Isaiah God spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, hey, my ways are not your ways. Neither are the things that I am doing are not like what you would do as a human being. And so I find it fascinating that when you think if I was going to create a business plan for for the son of God's ministry, we'd blow it out of the park, right? We'd market it up, we'd get it online, we'd try and get as many followers together, we just Wendy and I uh, listened to the podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, which is fascinating, uh, a 10-12 podcast that documented uh, how Mars Hill in Seattle became one of the biggest and most influential churches over a short period of time. And then literally overnight, the church just completely shut its doors and fell apart. Fascinating story. But one of the things they talk about in... Mars Hill's big growth was the fact that they maximized all of the technology and all of the online options and they blew the doors and made it so accessible to everybody and it became this sort of formula for how to grow a church big, fast. Well, then the question is, is that what we're supposed to be doing? So Jesus, when we look at his paradigm... His paradigm is, start small, stay small. (laughs) He started really intimately, and he keeps making these decisions to keep it that way. So he's got this fantastic, word is spreading, the whole town's gathered. And so what does he do? Verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, And went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now Simon and his companions went to look for them. So they didn't even know where he was. And when they found him, they exclaimed, what did they explain? Everyone is looking for you. Jesus, come on. You've got crowds. You've got people following. You've got people that want to to be around you. Everyone's asking where you are. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, for that is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. So let's take a step back here. Jesus has this big, successful service. People are healed. Demons are cast out. Crowds are gathering. And Jesus' response to that was to go off by himself to a solitary place. Now, over the last three weeks, that Wendy and I kind of enjoyed some vacation, we spent a week uh, on a cruise. Got on a ship in San Diego and cruised down the coast of Mexico and back. It was a seven-day cruise. And if you've ever been on a cruise, there's a ton to do on a cruise. Um, they, they make sure that there are activities all the time. And they give you this sheet with all the things that you can do all the time. But for Wendy and me this last week, the cruise wasn't about doing all the things all the time. In fact, we were kind of tired of doing things. So we spent a lot of time in our cabin. We spent a lot of time on our little veranda, our little private veranda outside our room. I sat there for hours and hours. We watched the sea go by. We thought, we read, we talked, we contemplated. See, one of the things that happens in life, I've discovered, is that we get so busy doing that we forget about being. So as we're thinking about healing, I want us to think about what it is that's broken. When we think about healing, we think about physical affliction. We think about paralysis or sickness or cancer or um, any of the things that are, are affecting our physical body. But let's step back for a second and think about what it is that Jesus came to fix. You see, in, here in the auditorium for the last year or two, we've, we've often used the, the idea of life on four levels. Level one is just me and my relationship with God, level two is my relationship with all the people in my life, my interpersonal connections and circles of influence. Level three are the kingdoms of this world. And then level four is God's kingdom. So when Christ came from eternal level four down to earth, the first three levels are really on this earth, right? And so when, when Jesus came, he came to fix something. But why are there... Why are there afflictions in this world? Why is there sickness? Why is there paralysis? Why is there cancer? Why do people die? Well, Jesus didn't come just in a vacuum to teach. He came to be part of the great story. And at the very beginning of the great story, we find that, that through Adam and Eve, centered, uh, sin entered the world. So Romans 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse Uh, Going back, sorry, I lost my place. Romans 5, it says, for sin entered the world and death through sin. So when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, their sin introduced death to humanity. And part of that death is sickness and decay. And so when we experience sickness, death, all of the tragic things that can happen to us in this world, all of that is part of the brokenness of sin. But sometimes that brokenness is more than just our physical bodies. We have a broken relationship with God. We have spirits (laughs) that are broken and sinful. We have relationships that are broken and in need of healing. Brokenness happens on all of these three earthly levels. And if we focus only on the physical healing of our broken bodies, we're missing that we have Brokenness in other areas of our life. And Jesus came to fix something and heal something on all levels. To get us from this (laughs) this earthly life to the eternity of God's kingdom. By bringing the kingdom to earth, he wanted to fix what was broken in all phases. Our sinfulness, our wrong-mindedness, our broken relationships our spirit and and sinful decisions and choices and motivations. So we've got to see what Jesus is doing. So now he goes off in a solitary place, and then what does he do? He says, oh, those folks, we're going to leave these folks, and we're going to go over to these people. I need to keep moving. I need to keep going. I've got other things to do. So getting away, spending the night, Alone in a solitary place, he's praying. And as he's praying, he and the Father are having contemplative conversations about what is it I'm here to do? What is my mission? Where am I going? I find it fascinating that as soon as Simon Peter says, hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you, Jesus was immediately like going, yep, I got something else to do. We're going to make a decision. We're going to go a different direction. Because that's what I've come here to do. And we, as followers of Christ, need to learn from the example of Christ that sometimes we need to step back from the doing in order to think about our mission, what God is doing in us, where we should be going. Where does God want me to move? So as I was contemplating last week, I... uh, I had this whole uh, outline of things that I was working on thinking about 2022. And four of the goals that I came up with for this year were doing goals, tasks. But I realized that, you know, we often think about goals as doing things. It's, uh, sometimes we just limit it to doing. But I also had four goals to set that were about being. Let's think about that for a minute. In this year, in 2022, who do I want to become? It's a different question. It's easy to think of tasks. I can, I can do and do and do. In fact, the tasks are, are, are endless, aren't they? One of the conversations Wendy and I had last week sitting on our veranda um, was the, the feeling that you get to the end of the day And there's no way you can get everything done that was on your list that day and how that can plague a person. Do you ever get to the end of the day and all you can feel is the weight of things that you didn't get done? Well, when that happens, we get into this total focus on doing. When Jesus came to teach us how to be, So Jesus in his time with the Father that's the example. It's exactly what Steph was talking about this morning. We need that time. I I love the 2 minutes of silence that we've been introducing <laughs> in our services. I need silence. We need time to get alone to think through and to spend time with the Father, spend time with Christ, just thinking through who am I becoming and how does that inform the things that I should be doing? Let's go on, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you're willing, (laughs) the leper said, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant, and the Greek word there literally means to be angry. Jesus was angry. Um, and he reached out his hand and touched the man. And I love this, it's one of my favorite stories of scripture. He said, I'm willing, be clean. And Jesus went, at once gave him a strong warning see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Who? To the the religious people, the chief priests, the folks in the temple. You need to be a testimony to them to what God has done for you. And instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. And now Mark keeps giving us this contrast. The crowds keep coming to Jesus, and Jesus withdraws. The crowds want him. He can't get anywhere for all of the people coming around him, but Jesus stays in lonely places. What a contrast. And what does that have to say to us? Now, think about leprosy. If you've never seen a leper, I encourage you to Google it um, and look at some some pictures of, of lepers it is a disease that back in that day was very mysterious, and there was no cure in Jesus' day. And the problem with leprosy is that it, it is a very deforming bacterial infection that basically you have these sores and welts, your fingers start to fall off. Um, and so lepers, were, physically you would look at a leper and go, ooh, Right? So a leper had to always tell people that they were coming because they were unclean. If you touched a leper, you were unclean. So they would yell out, unclean, unclean. Now I want you to think about what happens to a person, what happens to a soul when you cannot touch another human being, when you can't embrace your children, When you can't kiss your spouse, when no one wants to touch you, and when everyone who looks at you reviles you, is afraid of you, and runs away from you. What does it do to your soul to be a leper? And so I love that the leper first says, if you're willing, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And when it says that Jesus reached out and touched him, that was huge. Now what's interesting, I did some reading about leprosy this week. There is a leper colony still on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. In fact, leprosy broke out in the Hawaiian islands. Nobody's really sure why, but it was a big problem uh, to the natives of Hawaii. And so King Kamehameha took this peninsula on the island of Molokai that's very, very hard to get to. The only way he can get there is by boat, plane, or by this really treacherous winding path over the mountain. And so King Kamehameha told all the lepers that if you were had leprosy, you had to go live on this peninsula. And to this day, there are a handful of lepers that are still there. But here's the thing. Medic- medicine has found a way to stop leprosy. Uh, it is no longer what it used to be. And there's only a few of these lepers left. And what's interesting is that the lepers who are left in the colony, they're okay. They're not contagious anymore. Because medicine is taking care of them. But still, they choose to live in isolation. You know why? Because that's all they've known. Some of them have tried to go and live in normal society, and they said it's too hard. Because while the leprosy is no longer contagious, they still look hideous, they're still misunderstood people are still afraid of them. In fact, one of the lepers said that they laughed when this doctor from Australia or somewhere came to visit to see the community and basically got off the plane wearing this hazmat suit. A, a doctor, like full suit with guard, you know, and they're like going, what? what? Like, don't you know how terrible and contagious leprosy is? And they're like going, it's not contagious anymore. <laughs> you should know that as a doctor. But we think of it that, in those terms. So I find it, as I was thinking about it this week, here's, here's what I realized. I have never met anyone who was a leper or who had leprosy. Never met anybody. But I have met countless people in my journey who have spiritual leprosy. There's so many people that I've talked to over the years who have a sin in their past that they believe has disfigured them spiritually. I've met people who feel so guilty about their sin, something that they have done, something that happened to them and they are so ashamed that they deep down believe that God could never heal them, forgive them or restore them. The first time I met Phil DeBoof, Pastor Phil, was right back there in this room. The first time I met Phil and talked to Phil He had spiritual leprosy. And if you don't know Phil's story, I encourage you to reach out to him and say, Phil, I want to hear your story. And he'll say it yourself. Phil firmly believed that God could not forgive him and he would never, ever be used by God in ministry again. He struggled with it. So there's this brokenness. And I love the story of the leper because Jesus came more than just to physically heal. He came to heal what's spiritually broken in us. And if you are here today and you have a sin in your life that you think God would never forgive you of or you struggle and you feel like a spiritual leper, God could never do this. It's too bad. You don't understand, Tom, what I've done. Look, you don't understand what I've done. Jesus is standing there today saying, I want to make you clean. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. James says, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you might be healed. There is a connection between our confession and our healing. And healing is a matter of spirit and mind and being and relationship just as much as it is physically. It is not an either or, it is a both and. Jesus came to fix things on all three levels of this earthly life. Let's keep going. A few days later, when Jesus entered into Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers. There's again, the contrast. Mark keeps talking about the large numbers, the big crowds, all that were gathered. And There was no room left, not even outside the door. So he preached the word to them. And some men came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was on. And when Jesus saw their faith, we believe that Jesus is gonna heal this guy. So we're gonna break through the roof. We're gonna dig through the roof to make it happen. How did he respond? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're that man, I would imagine you're like going, um, <laughs> excuse me, uh, that's not why I'm lying on this map. But once again, see what Jesus sees is that this man's brokenness is not his paralysis. Paralysis. His brokenness is his sinfulness. So Jesus immediately says, look, you want me to heal this earthly body. But sir, you don't realize that you've got a problem that is much bigger than your paralysis. Your problem is sin. And because of that brokenness, you will never know level 4 kingdom of god eternal life until that sin is fixed so in this one this one statement your sins are forgiven jesus speaks number 1 to the real need the real issue the real problem that all of us face and it's not earthly it's eternal Jesus, in this one statement, speaks to his mission. And in fact, the, uh, Tim Keller in the book says, this is the first time we see the shadow of the cross. Because in saying your sins are forgiven and stepping up into saying, I'm gonna forgive your sins, look what the, uh, the, the leader said. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus is like going, yes, guess who I am? And he's also explaining the object of our sin. See, if, so Joey, over here. If Joey um, slapped me on the face, go ahead. (laughs) And then Joey, you know, went back there to Andy Kroger and said, hey, would you forgive me for slapping time on the face? And be like going, what are you talking about? Not mine to forgive, you didn't slap my face. When Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven, he was saying to the man and he is saying to us, I am the object of your sin. I am the Son of God, member of the circle dance, the circle of love, your sin slaps my face. When you sin, you are offending me. And that needs to be fixed. That's why I came and that's why I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die once for all. That you might be brought near to God. That you might be one with us. And then Jesus says, I love this. So, going to verse, uh, which is easier, says in verse 9? To say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, take up your mat and walk? Well, that's a great question. Which one is easier? Is it really easier (laughs) to forgive sin than it is to heal a paralytic? That's a great question. And here's what I think. See, in this earthly life, on levels one, two, and three, healing the paralytic Seems like the harder thing. And that's why I think we're always focused on healing the physical. Because we're focused on the physical. We're focused on this life. We're focused on the, the 70, 80 years we might have on this earth. This is all there is. And we're so focused on this life being everything good and right and fixed and proper. But on level four in God's kingdom in eternity, Healing the paralytic is nothing. Saving the sinner is everything because it requires God himself to become one of us and die for us. So as we wrap up this morning, I won't want you to hear what I'm not saying. God can heal; He does heal. He does it today. We've had members of our family in this place who have been healed. Talk to Mike Cranmer about his hand. We've seen God miraculous things, but just like in Ecclesiastes, part of the Hebel is that sometimes God has purposes in our pain. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians, and I'll finish with this, he was given a thorn in his flesh, an affliction. And three times he prayed to God to heal me, take away this this physical suffering. And God said, no, Paul, you know why? Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. The physical suffering you are feeling right now is momentary and temporary, and it is nothing in the grand scheme. But Paul, I gave it to you because you know what? You need to be reminded not to get conceited. Paul literally says that. In order that I wouldn't become conceited, God allowed me to have this physical affliction. So when we come to God to pray for healing, number one, what's most important? Have you been healed spiritually? Have you been forgiven? Are you dealing with spiritual leprosy? Then I want to encourage you to confess it and receive Jesus' forgiveness. And if you're dealing with physical affliction, let's pray the prayer of healing. In fact, next week in particular, we're going to to have... Healing prayer next week, right here in the auditorium. And we're going to spend some time praying for healing, believing that God can and will do miraculous things. Let's pray. God, I just pray for your healing, Lord. Lord, for spirits that are broken and sinful, I pray for your forgiveness and grace and mercy to pour over and to cleanse us to heal us from all unrighteousness for those who are experiencing broken relationships I pray Lord for healing of those relationships that they might be made right for those who are experiencing brokenness of body and physical uh, afflictions of some kind I pray for your healing of the body and I thank you God that you came to heal it all Not just our body, but our mind, our will, our motives, our heart, our spirit. We give you the praise for it in Jesus' name.